have your Bible, turn to, chap- to John, the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1. And today is the beginning of the arrival of which we just sang. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 1 this whole month. And so uh, part of our effort here in being in one chapter for the whole month is the hope that you would have a growing interest in the Word of God. And so if we just look at one chapter in it, then maybe you can grow in your interest of the Word of God. And so this month, the arrival is going to be uh, for us in John 1 as we celebrate in this Christmas season. I want to recognize a couple of folks because that doesn't happen very often for me. I have family here, so I want them to stand if I, if I could. Uh, back here is Danny and Kat, my cousins from West Virginia right here, Danny and Kathy, and then Carol and Roger from Southern Ohio. And Malia is here as well. Thank you guys for coming. I got, I got some Grafton folks here. Where are you? Are you here this morning? We got other folks from West Virginia. They're just not family. So uh, we're just so thankful for them being able to be here. We're going to be in John 1, verse 1. That's page 886 in those Bibles that were supplied for you. And here is what John says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Let's pray. Father, today, I pray that you would raise our vision of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand your word. Help us, Lord, to understand who you are because we've been together Lord, I pray that the meditations of my heart, the words of my mouth would be pleasing and acceptable to you. Help us, Lord, to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Gospel of John is a portrait of Jesus as the Son of God. You know, Matthew, he teaches that Jesus is the King, the promised King. Mark, he shows that Jesus is the servant of God. Luke teaches us that Jesus is the perfect man. And John paints a picture of Jesus being the son of God. And so when we look at the book of John, it focuses on the three years of Jesus' ministry, his life, and especially on his death, and his resurrection. So this might not have been the best candidate for us to do a Christmas series in. But we're going to be in John 1 to help us understand what happened with the arrival of Jesus. We see John's purposes for what he was writing in John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And that's my hope, that when you look at what John 
says, what he is sharing with us about Jesus. This book is written to help people believe on Jesus and have eternal life. That's my hope for you as we start this journey. It's an eyewitness account. You have, that's one of the beauties of the Bible, is that this is not some theoretical or made-up thing. This is John's eyewitness account of who Jesus is. We find that in John chapter 21, verse 24. It says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And so we have to understand that. This is a real person who is writing about the Messiah that was promised. And also, at the same time, we have to understand, and it's the beauty of what we're looking at today, is that this is divinely inspired. The Word of God is inspired. John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. In other words, Jesus, listen, Jesus chose his disciples, his, uh, the, the ones, his followers. He taught them, he sent them, he gave them through the Holy Spirit. He gave them this divine guidance in writing scripture for the foundation of the church. And so we believe that John's gospel is the inspired word of God because he was a real person and it was inspired. Now, there's another thing that's happening in these words, and that is, the Word, the term, the Word, which is Jesus. Focus on that term. In the beginning was the Word, logos. And the Word has the meaning logos is the expression of a concept, the embodiment of an idea or an ideal. That's what the Word means. And so for us, the most important thing to know comes from verse 14, which I believe I'm going to be on in, on Christmas Eve, all right? But that is these words right here of what it means that Jesus is the word. And that is when he says that he himself will, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and that he, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For us, the word refers to Jesus Christ. And so when you read this, I'm telling you, man, are you getting what is happening with John at the very first of these 21 chapters? He is like coming out of the gates. He has got, he is trying to stun us. He is trying to amaze us right out of the gates with what he's saying. Right up front. He, he's, when he writes these 21 chapters, this book is a book about the life and work of the man Jesus. The man John knew and saw and heard and touched. He had flesh and blood. He was not a ghost. He was not a, a, a vanishing, a, a appearing ghost or anything like that. John knew him closely. And he is saying right up front of the Jesus I know, and I'm about to write to you, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's telling us the ultimate, right off the top, he's telling us the ultimate things we need to know about Jesus. And so it's important 
that we begin right here in the beginning, that we our minds be fixed and clear and settled in what John is trying to say in a very piercing way, in a very bold way in these words. He's talking about the eternal majesty, the deity, the God, the God of creation is Jesus Christ. The creator writes of Jesus Christ is what he is just throwing down right off the top. Jesus in his infinite majesty. Think about that right off the top. The gospel as we read it should be, as we read these words, should be read worshipfully and humbly and submissively and awestruck that a man at the wedding or at the well or the, the, on the mountain is the creator of the universe. In these very first words that he's writing out of his pen, he's using it. He's saying in every word, I will stun you. I'm going to blow you away with what you are about to know about God, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John means this clear, and this is what I want us to revel in today at the arrival of Jesus, is what John is saying is a clear, solid, amazed this knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ was with God and was God and that the one who laid down his life created the universe. That's what he's saying in these three verses. He is saying that. He is saying the one who arrived was the creator of the universe. You might say, well, why did he use the word word? Why did he choose to call Jesus the word? Here is what I, if you read the whole of John John calls Jesus the word because he had come to see, listen, he had come to see the words of Jesus and the person of Jesus as the truth of God in such a unified way that Jesus himself, you know, in his coming and in his working and in all the teaching and the dying and the rising was the, listen, was the final and decisive message of God. That in the word we find that message of God to creation. And that it was not only the, what Jesus said, which by the way, this is very common even for believers. Because we think it's noble. And it's great what Jesus said, his ethos. What he taught is a philosophy of life. That's what people, oh yeah. But it's greater than that. It's also who Jesus was and what he did when he came. In fact, I would take you, as Holly talked about Jesus' second coming, look at Revelation chapter 19. John the Revelator, the same John who wrote this, wrote the book of Revelation. And John the Revelator said in chapter 19 and verse 13, he said, he describes Jesus' glorious second coming. And he said, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. That's how he's described in his second coming. And so for us, it's God's final message. It's the one we anticipate for him. He's the Word of God. So 
I just want to talk to you in the time I have remaining about the four reasons why you should be excited about Jesus' arrival and what John 1, 1 through 3 helps us to understand. Because he's saying, let's get some things straight right from the top. All right? Right from the top, let's get some things straight about Jesus. Because we know that Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. What was it that when the word became flesh, what is it that we should be so excited about? There's a preacher who wrote down one time. He said, I came to Christ. His his name was Preacher, Preacher Havner, Vance Havner. He said, I came to Christ as a country boy. I did not understand all about the plan of salvation. One does not have to understand it. He only has to stand on it. I do not understand all about electricity, but I do not intend sitting around in the dark until I do. And I would encourage you. Some of the things that we're talking about are very, very weighty. They're very heavy concepts. The idea of the Trinity is very heavy. But I want to tell you that you can stand on it based on the word of God. Not my word, but the word of God that reveals who God is to every person in this room. Here is four reasons why every person in this room ought to be excited. First thing is the time of his existence. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The words in the beginning are identical in Greek to the first two words in the Greek Old Testament. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth from Genesis 1. That's not an accident because the first thing John is going to tell us is that Jesus, the first thing he's going to tell us about him is that he created the universe. He he says that in verse 3. So the words in the beginning, before there was any created matter, there was the Word, the Son of God. Think about that. These words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So John begins his gospel by locating Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, in relation to time. Namely, get this, before all of time. I mean, that's what he's saying. He is saying this. And this is consistent with what Scripture says. In Jude 1, verse 25, Jude exalts in the truth of this in his great doxology, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Paul says to a younger Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 9, that God gave us grace in Christ Jesus before the times of the ages. So before there was time, there was the Word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that should give you hope. That should excite you because God is the Creator God and that He entered time for you. Here's the second thing. It's the identity, the essence of the identity of who Jesus is is right here in these verses. Verse 1 at the end. The Word was with God. One of the marks of the gospel is this weightiest doctrine often delivered in the simplest words. This could not get, look at the words. Look at the words. They're very, very simple. 
but they, boy, this, this couldn't get any heavy, more heavy. The word who became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ, was and is God. I want to make it clear here as we celebrate this season. John 1 might not have been, this is not Luke 2. This is not Matthew, which gives the genealogy and the, an account of the birth of Christ, especially the way Luke does it. And so, so many times when you see a manger, like a cover of your bulletin, or you're going to see that all over. I think there's a great temptation for all of us to see Jesus as sort of the created. Like, oh, isn't that nice? And he did become a baby. But don't let that stop you from seeing that we worship Jesus as God. We fall down with Thomas, who in John chapter 20, verse 28, confessed with joy and wonder. He said, my Lord and my God. Wow. When we hear leaders in the Bible, especially the religious leaders in chapter 10, verse 33, it says, it's not for good work that we're going to stone you, but it's blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. And we're like, no, 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 no. This is not blasphemy. This is our Savior, our Lord, our God. So that's what it means. And that's what we're going to spend these next four weeks getting to know God as we get to know Jesus in chapter 1. Do you want to know God? I would encourage you to come and meet God as we meet Jesus, as you see here in his arrival. Here's another thing that we learn in these three verses. Not only learn that, that he existed outside of time, but also that his identity is God, but that his, what is his relationship with God? Verse 1, in the middle of the verse, the word was with God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is at the heart of this great historic doctrine of the Trinity. Simply let that straightforward statement stand in your mind and sink in your heart. He was with God. He was God. He is God, and he has a relationship with God. He is God, and he is the image of God, perfectly reflecting all that God is and standing in eternity as the fullness of the distinct, distinct person of God. And so for us, we see in these verses the first two parts of the Trinity. We see the Father, and we see the Son. And then we look in John 14, and we see the promise of the Holy Spirit, which was to come. The manifest presence of God that was promised in John 14. Right now, we kind of see, it's kind of hard for us to get our minds around this. But I want to encourage you, don't throw this away. Jesus' relationship with God, because this is what accomplishes our salvation. Because right here, the glory would not be sufficient to satisfy your everlasting longing, your hunger for God, if this was not the truth that John teaches us. I would encourage you today, if you throw away the deity, the Godhead, Jesus Christ, you throw away all of your joy in the age to come. 
So we have the existence of before time, the essence of his identity, and the relationship to God. And then fourthly is his relationship to the, wor- to the world. And this is important because verses 2 and 3 say he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Everything was made by God, and everything was made by the Word. Everything was made by Jesus. We celebrate in the arrival the Creator. That's what we were singing about, that the author He stepped onto the page that the painter is now in the painting. And so I would encourage you. I heard an old story, an old fable. God is sitting in heaven when a scientist starts praying and says, God, we don't need you anymore. Science has finally figured out a way to create life out of nothing. In other words, we can do it without you and what you did in the beginning. Don't need you anymore. So God says, oh, is that true? Tell tell me about that. He says, well, we can take dirt and form it into the likeness of you and breathe life into it, thus creating man. And he said, well, that's interesting. Show me. So the scientist, he bends down to the earth. He starts to mold the soil. He says, no, 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 no. You get your own dirt. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, taught us. Listen, Jesus, the eyewitness, John, he taught us, he healed us, he rebuked us, he protected us, he loved us, he died for us, created the universe. Remember to retain the mystery of the Trinity. Don't leave it just there. Remember, all things were made through him. The word is God. Don't let yourself this Christmas, when you think about Christmas, diminish the majesty of the work of Jesus. I hope that you are excited and passionate about the truth of the arrival of Jesus. And I, am, I, I think it's, there's part of this in the story of the Bible that we're trying to pass on as a heritage to our children. But brothers and sisters, don't leave him in the manger. He is majestic. He is worthy of worship. He is the creator. He was the Father's agent or word in the creation of all things. God, the word, created the world. Your Savior, your Lord, your friend, Jesus, is your maker. And so I encourage you today that you were created by Jesus. And I want to encourage you that you can know him. You can know him. And so there's something very clear. Jesus was not made. He was not made. And this account talks about who Jesus is. He is God. C.S. Lewis, he said, you can shut, he said this about Jesus, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. I want to encourage you. All things were made through him. You might think 
today that you were an accident, but you here today were made through him. I encourage you. I want to encourage you today that without him, not anything was made. And I want you to, to know that Christ was not made. What it means to be God, the word was God. And the Lord help you to see his glory and worship him and to see him for who he is. Now you might say, what does his arrival mean to us? So what? So what if that's true? Well, there are a lot of different people here with a lot of different stories, and you might have a lot on your mind this morning. You might have difficulty. You may have problems. Your life, in fact, you may be scratching your head and asking questions. You may have doubts. You may have a a lot of worry in your life. You may have fear in your life. But in his arrival, what God was doing was he was, first of all, he was enacting a plan from ages past, and God established a rock to build on. His arrival gives us perspective on eternity, on who you are. Do you know that every person here was created for eternity? Every person here. You were created for eternity, to have a love relationship with God. And when sin came into the world, that destroyed our ability to have a relationship with God. But while we were sinners, Christ came into the world and he died for us. And then he rose from the dead, conquering death and sin. And so now we have a, because of who Jesus is and because what the word of God says, his arrival gives me a perspective on what life is all about. It gives me that ability to understand what's going on in the world through death through trials, through sickness, through the fallenness of this world. It gives me the ability to have a perspective. I think I may have told this story before, but if I go out to California, I could go out and I could buy a, a little lot, maybe, it, and, and, and the truth is, it, it may, everything may look great. But if I go up, like say around Pasadena or someplace like that, but if you go up into the hills, into the mountains, and look down, you would look at that same land if you could get a little farther back, way up above it, maybe even in a helicopter, and look down, well, you would be able to see the San Andreas Faults running right down there. Somebody's trying to sell you a piece of property right next to the San Andreas Fault. And you wouldn't want to do that. It's all because your perspective. So many times in this world, we just see whatever's just right around us. We don't have, sometimes, John, right, I mean, he is literally, please forgive me for my, I'm going to pull out some slang here. I mean, he is just smacking us right in the face, right off the top of this, and trying to get us to understand who Jesus is in his arrival. He's trying to get us to understand who Jesus is, to give us perspective on eternity, because left to ourselves in our fallen state, we trust ourselves. We know what that leads to. That leads to a lot of worry. That leads to a lot of fear. It leads to a lack of guidance and direction in our life. It leads us to go our own way in our fallen state and give in to sin and despair. Folks, I am seeing it in our country. The dependence upon 
alcohol and drugs. And you think, oh, preacher, now you're now you just going there, talking like. I want to tell you, it is what we are seeing in our world. We are seeing an increase in the sadness of suicide. We are seeing an increase of dependency, of drug overdoses, people looking for a quick fix to numb out. And I want you to know that there is hope. Our hope is in Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We need to build our life on solid rock. You can spend your whole life in fear. You can worry for the rest of your life, and you can blow it off and say, well, that's just the way I am. You can worry and be in fear. You can have constant, just constantly be enslaved to the things of this world because you're building your life on circumstances, hoping they'll get better, hoping that you'll get more money, hoping that somebody will treat you better, hoping, 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 or you can put your hope in something solid, and that is God because Jesus is the Word. 2 Corinthians 5.21 makes it clear. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How are you going to get righteous? How are you going to live eternally with God? I mean, guys, if you can get it down to three sins a day, by the way, you'll be doing great. But you're at about seventy to 75,000 sins. You can't approach a holy God with one sin in your life. How are you going to go to heaven? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we have this today. God made a plan. You can build your life on the rock, on Jesus. So here's some things. You might say, so what? Here's what? I can know God. That's a beautiful thing, man. I mean, around the world, there are so many different religions. And here's the deal. So many of them are saying to you, like Confucius might say to you, if you were stuck in your life, in your sin, it's evident that the men should stay out of the places such as this. You know, there's better wisdom. A Buddhist might say, uh, let, the, let that, the person's plight be a lesson to the rest of the world. Uh, someone who follows Islam might say to you, alas, it's the will of God for your life just to go. But Jesus appears and he says, take my hand, brother, and I will save you. And I want you to know that you can know God because of Jesus. The other thing is, I can depend on God. Because God has been in this moment before I have been. And so even in the most troubling trials of your life, in the deepest, hardest moments of your life, you can depend on God, listen, because of the weightiness of who Jesus is. Because you can build your life on eternity, on the eternal creator God. Here's the question about that. Are you going to spend the rest of your life just worrying, being afraid? Or 
you can depend, put your hope and trust in God. Thankfully, this year, we, we redid this. We did, redid these. Uh, we got new chairs, new seating this year. We can fit a lot more people down here, especially on the bottom. Did anybody come in here today and just kind of check that out and go, I don't know if this thing works or not. Is this thing going to hold me? No, we just come in here, we just plop down, don't we? We just trust. We trust that Jeremy did the right thing. There are a lot of things we trust Jeremy for. <laughs> oh, we got some murmuring over here. I, I mean, you just trust. You had faith, didn't you? Saving faith. Listen, saving faith has a specific object and specific content. Object is Jesus. The content is the Bible. Trust in him. You can depend on him. And here's the last thing. I can have confidence in God. Are you worried? Are you constantly just not having the confidence that things are going to work out? That, that whatever's going on in your life, you just don't have the confidence. This isn't going right. Things are going sour. Hey, I've had some of that. I could, we could have an open microphone right now, couldn't we? How many of you maybe feel that way sometimes? Like, I don't know. This is all messed up. I don't know if I can have confidence of what's going on. I don't know if he's working everything for good or not. Because of who Jesus is. I mean, you can live your life with worry and fear and confusion and doubt and give in to despair. But I know because Jesus is from the beginning and he is God, I can have confidence in him. I want to encourage you this morning to trust him. Trust him. Trust Christ. If you've never trusted Christ, I want to invite you to do that this morning. I'm going to pray for you. If you've never trusted Christ, I want you to do that this morning. Today's your day. Today is your day. Father, right now, I pray in the name of Jesus, and I come to you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your, your word is true, that the word of God is true, and it's true because it's built on the word Jesus, Logos. Father, today I pray that you would help our unbelief Lord, thank you for John's boldness. Thank you, Lord, for the inspired word of God that we would be shown the truth. And that, Lord, we can live according to the truth. Lord, I pray against every scheme of the evil one who has told us lies our whole life. And, Lord, I pray today that you would help every person here to respond to the truth. Help us, Lord, to know you. Help us, Lord, to be confident in you, to trust you more. Lord, I thank you for every person here. I pray, Lord, that the power of the Holy Spirit would be upon every person here. If there are those who do not know you, they would do that today before they leave. And that, Lord, as well, for all of us as we walk through this week, help us, Lord, to put our trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you, Lord that you walk with us. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.